welcome to the At Peace Parents podcast. I'm Casey, and I'm here to empower you in your decision-making as a parent of a demand-avoidant child. My goal is to share insights that will generate aha moments and support your connection with your child. I'm a mom of two amazing little boys, one of whom is PDA, and I've worked with hundreds of parents just like you to teach them how to lead their child out of burnout and find the clarity, peace, and sense of community they need. So today, this morning, I want to go live with you guys. I have my coffee and I want to talk about identity. Okay. And the way I want to talk about this is I first want to talk to you guys about my identity and the past year of sort of grounding down into what that looks like, how I view identity and how that informs how I coach parents and teach them about introducing identity, whether it's autistic, PDA, or none of the above to their children. Um, And then I want to give you guys permission to identify in a way that's completely autonomous and full of choice for you and your child. And then I'm going to end by talking about the pros of a strong identity and the cons of attaching too much to an identity and allowing it to other other people or put yourself into groups of us them okay so i'm going to bring both my personal story a little bit of my coaching and um, also a little bit of my academic background to talk about how that informs how i think about identity my advisor in graduate school was a feminist scholar so I had to read lots of stuff about intersectionality and feminism and black identity, et cetera. Nothing about neurodiversity, but I bring that to my work. A question I get a lot all the time (laughs) is, are you autistic? Are you PDA? And, you know, I get that question and I'm totally fine with it, right? And I'm not trying to obscure or hide my identity, I simply don't identify strongly with a particular neurotype. And I want to talk to you guys about why. And this doesn't mean like this is how you should do it. I just want to share my experience because it comes up so often in social media. Okay, so when I started my first podcast with another mom over two years ago now, which is called PDA Parents, I believed myself to be the most neurotypical person ever, right? I didn't struggle in school. I didn't struggle in social environments. You know, I was like captain of my soccer team. I haven't ever had trouble making friends, etc. However, I do have a history of pretty severe anxiety. About a year ago, I started really intensive trauma processing, and that includes, um, EMDR, which is like bilateral stimulation for the brain to process trauma and like childhood stuff. And also my experience with my son. During that trauma processing, I started to have a lot of sensory issues for the first time and be like very sensitive to sound and smell and taste. And I was like, is this trauma processing or is it because of trauma or is it because like I'm coming out of disassociation and I'm actually autistic or neurodivergent and it was very confusing for me because like also I would sit down to meditate and I would start 
like rocking back and forth. And I was like, am I stimming? Or like, is this the energy of the meditation, right? Like I was just sort of like leaning into it. But what was happening was I was starting to sense a lot more than I had. And just as background, like when I was 26 in my first round of graduate school at Columbia University, I started having really severe panic attacks to the point where like the time I had the first one, I was in the law library and it just came on like complete disassociation, but also I felt like I was having a heart attack. So I actually went to the clinic on Columbia's campus and I was like, I'm having a heart attack. I was 26. And the nurse like took me to the psychology part of the clinic and was like, you're not having a heart attack. You're having a panic attack. And, you know, the way that it felt was like two versions of reality tingling up my spine, like my heart racing, sweating, but also like severe pain in my chest. And I still get this when I get anxious, like, you know, showing up here, I'm getting used to it. Um, But showing up online at first, like it would give me a severe dagger in my chest. When I sell things online, it gives me a dagger in my chest because I'm like showing up and taking up space. And this is like part of what the trauma processing was. So I started medication for panic attacks. I started therapy as an adult for the first time. And I completely had to change my lifestyle, like not you know, drinking coffee, needed to work out, needed to go to bed because I was just like burning the candle at both ends. And since then, I've suffered from panic attacks. And also like once my first son was born, I was diagnosed with um, postpartum OCD, depression, and anxiety. So I'm bringing this in because I want to talk, I know some of you might relate, but also to illustrate that like, this is my biological internal body-based experience that often is associated with some autistic experience, right? So this is why I was like, could it possibly be that I'm autistic? And, you know, I was exploring this in the privacy and safety of like close relationships, therapist conversations, and also with other autistic adults who I'm friends with, right? And I often get told you're autistic, I can tell by the way that you like move your hands and talk. And and it's always been like a confusion for me. So throughout the past year have been sitting with this and been, you know, constantly being asked because people are on social media asking me has just been like a very confusing experience for me. Okay. But here's what I want to tell you and what I've come to and why. Okay, so I have come to not identifying with any neurotype. And this is why. Two things. First, I've now coached hundreds of families. I think it's going to be like a thousand if we include the paradigm shift program and all the work that I've done with my courses, not the master classes. And I coach families to support them in helping their child develop a sense of identity in order to combat self-loathing and other people giving them labels like defiant, oppositional, violent, quirky, weird, etc. Because labels get put on children regardless. And so it can be a really powerful 
process to give language to your child or offer a language to your child so that they can have a sense of affirmation, belonging, and self-concept, right? So I do think this is very important. But the methodology that I use with parents is not to introduce like you are PDA or the, the diagnosis says you are ADHD or whatever. We imbue this process with the exact same autonomy the offerings, the openness, the collaboration, so that we're not imposing it on the child. And the patterns I've seen is that, yes, many of these children organically and with your support come to an autistic identity, come to a PDA identity, come to a neurodivergent identity. However, a subset of them say, I don't want any of this. I'm just me. And they are who I'm taking this cue from of like the children who have been given autonomy. And it's inspiring to me of like, you know what? I actually don't have to identify as a neurotype one. And so I'm like, okay, baller. That's baller of these kids. Like, I'm just going to be like brave like they are, right? And not identify. And then second... As I've been going through this process, and I'll just give you a silly anecdote because it illustrates sort of the paradox. Like, so I helped with um, moderating family panels a, over a year ago for the PDA North America conference. And, you know, it was a group of parents, some of them coming to PDA for the first time. Lots of dysregulation and fear, which is like, obviously, it's an upsetting time to be like, trying to figure out answers. And I did this and I was like fielding the energy of all the emotions and moderating and making sure everyone was like, okay, and co-regulating and not ganging up on each other. And afterwards, I had to lay in a room with a weighted blanket, a heated rice pack over my face, and two noise machines and a fan. And my husband would come in and be like, so you think you're neurotypical, eh? You know? And I'm just like, okay, Jake, stop talking. Um, but it's just to illustrate, like, this is one component, right? Like my internal body-based experience. And like, yes, I do sense and perceive the world in a different way, which you may have noticed from the way that my brain organizes and presents information. Like, obviously, I'm probably neurodivergent. However, from my experience in academia and actually studying these concepts, I think about it like this of like, yes, identity is body-based, it's biological, it's internal lived experience, but as we know, it's also a social construct. It is a construct that has developed so that we can decide with autonomy and choice where we feel a sense of belonging. And it can be intersectional. It can be I'm Black and a woman and autistic, right? And that's a different experience than I'm a woman and autistic. Or I'm Black and a woman. That's intersectionality, right? And each of those is a, is a different identity intersecting. So when I thought about it, like, not just my internal lived experience, but also the spaces and with whom I feel a sense of belonging, shared communication styles, cultural norms, ethics, ways of operating, you know, I feel much more at home in a yoga studio than I do in an autistic space. And really the only autistic spaces I know 
in groups are online. And frankly, like I haven't had a good experience with that. And so my sense of belonging does not intersect with those cultural norms in those spaces. That's not to say that that's like autistic culture. It's just my personal experience, right? And so, you know, I identify very strongly now as a mother. I identify very strongly as anxious. (laughs) I identify very strongly as a yogi, right? A reader, someone who loves to travel, who can't anymore. Okay, so these are all the things that I've been thinking about for the past year. And the reason I'm sharing them with you is because I'm not trying to hide anything about my identity, but I also want to introduce to you a different way of thinking about it because I think it's important not just for you and your identity as a parent, because I work with tons of, tons of moms especially who are exploring this, an internalized experience of PDA, but there's a lot of complexities, right? Do you want to get a late late in life diagnosis? Do you want to be public about this with your family? Do you even want to identify as this and why? And all of it is okay. Remember, the principle is autonomy. (laughs) Okay, what I want you guys to take away from this are two things. Like one, how does this apply, apply to your life and your child? And two, things to think about as you're exploring identity in terms of pros and cons of a strong identity and why it's different than like diagnosis and categories for research. When I work with families to support them in their in their own identity but also their child's, we don't start with labels. We don't start with like, "Hey, you're PDA, how do you feel about that?" Cuz remember, <laughs> that would be putting you above the child in the decider role and they automatically have that perception of threat because loss of autonomy and loss of perceived equality activates them. Additionally, a lot of these children, you know, have been labeled or misdiagnosed with a million other things before we get to the PDA conversation. And so, you know, we really have to approach it using all the accommodations that you know, we work on here on this page, or if you're in a program with me, so that they can organically come to a choice, right? So like, introducing words and labels and categories is actually the very last step, right, that we work through in in the methodology I, I introduce with families. And it's been very successful for families in the sense that their child isn't like fully rejecting it, feeling like their parent is imposing it, etc. And I also want to tell you there's no wrong way to do this and it's okay to wait. It's okay to start now. It's all good. It's just a conversation collaboratively. Okay. The second thing I want to give you permission about is that you don't have to identify as a particular neurotype at all if that doesn't resonate for you. You're also welcome in my world if that's like your primary identity. Like it's all good. But neurodiversity is about diversity, right? Of different experience. And it is all validated and named here. So finally, I wanna end with the pros and cons of identity. 
So my son has a very strong PDA identity. It's been very healing for him. He, through like using the process I help parents with, he did come to a strong PDA identity. In this process, I witnessed him use it as a way to understand things that confused him about himself, like his strong nervous system response, right? And he, I also separate naming the threat response, which is like a survival mechanism that we all have and we can all name, and the identity of a neurotype, okay? Two different things. Because I have a lot of the survival drive, not attached to autonomy, but like I get the nervous system stuff because I biologically experience it, right? But it's not attached to the same neuroception. My son uses the identity of PDA to help him not feel bad about his sort of explosive behavior. And he uses it in language. And I'll give you two examples. One, when he was still using a pacifier, he used it until he was almost eight. He would use it only at home but when he would have play dates, he would ask me to tell the mom, text the mom before the kid came over and tell them, Cooper's going to use his pacifier because he's PDA, right? And this would make him feel safe. And he started using it as a way to advocate for himself, okay? And he started telling people himself, I do this because I'm PDA. And another example is... <laughs> Another example is when he is in his Montessori classroom and he would start a math sheet in the middle. He would say, the teacher and the other kids would be like, oh, why are you starting in the middle? And he, he would say, it's because my PDA. And then the other kids would say, can we start in the middle? And, and then the teacher would say, of course, because it's super flexible. And this is an example of how having an identity and a sense of belonging outside of oneself can support that self-advocacy for your children. So this is the pro, that sense of belonging, lifting off the veil of the confusion of your life, right? Like, why was I like this as a child? Why did I respond to this? Like, identity can be great for that, a sense of belonging, also a, a way to label or name something and build a body of knowledge towards more awareness, okay? However, there is a dark side to adhering too strongly to identity to the point that we are othering others, okay? And my doctoral research for my past life was in Columbia, South America, and I actually spent 16 months doing field work in rural areas that were severely impacted by the Civil War. Post-conflict areas, I also worked in some conflict areas during my doctoral dissertation. Okay, and my whole entire dissertation, my work, was based on understanding patterns of violence and reconstruction, reconciliation, and nonviolence. Okay, and the root of much of the violence was this concept of othering, of putting people in in-group and out-group categories in the same villages, in the same block of families, because they identified with one group, like a paramilitary group, a FARC group, or the state, and 
the out-group, in-group categories based on identity, the othering, the us-them, was at the root of extreme violence. And like, this is at my core, something I will not participate in and disagree with, whether it's online, politically, or anything, is othering and dehumanizing others because they have a different identity than you. And so I just want to leave with that because identity is a complex topic, but now you know why and how I identify or not, give you permission to do the same, understand that identity for you and your child is autonomous and choice-filled, like everything, and that identity can give a great sense of belonging, but we also have to be careful, especially in the online space, of not othering people because they are autistic, they're not autistic, or they're nothing. Because otherwise, there's not cohesiveness in a movement towards helping parents, helping children, and actually building a body of knowledge and awareness that extends beyond the online space, which is my goal. I I want to like, my long game is to get PDA or some version of it in the DSM-5, okay? I want everybody to have in-home caregivers. I want insurance to cover this, right? Especially in the U.S., And it's not going to happen if we don't build, if we don't collaborate, if we don't extend beyond, you know, social media. So this is my goal. My next project, which I'm super excited about and has also been in the works for a year, is a survey for parents. And now that I have lots of followers, I'm going to have a great online I'm going to have a great, albeit biased, large-end sample to actually do research. I hope this was helpful to you guys. I hope it was affirming. I hope that you took something away and it wasn't overly academic, but that is how my brain works and how I support families. All right, everybody. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for being here with me at the At Peace Parents podcast. This is your source for all things related to understanding, supporting, accommodating, and advocating for your PDA child. To go deeper on any of these topics, check out my course offerings and masterclasses at the website www.atpeaceparents.com. To completely transform the way you think about and relate to your child and to bring peace and stability to your home, join us for the next cohort of the Paradigm Shift program.